0: Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Hear now God's Word. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of, God, of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs... Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Paul has been presenting to us some very practical matters regarding how we should live how we should live the Christian life in contrast to, set over against the life of unbelievers. Darkness and light, day and night. You were darkness, you are now light. That is how dramatic this is to be. He is now about to address the practical matters, we're coming upon this later in this chapter, the practical matters of family life, of husbands, wives, parents and children, in addition to work relationships. The spiritual life, you see, is lived out in our physical bodies in relationship to other people, flesh and blood people. The Christian life, then, is seen in the everyday stuff. It's not off up here in the air or somewhere in a mystical way, hidden in our hearts, but it always comes out of our hands, our feet, our mouths. Uh, In the way we interact and serve or don't serve one another. But in these verses, he also wants to emphasize the necessity, the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit. We're not doing this on our own. We can't do what he's called us to do on our own. The fallen natural man cannot accomplish what is called for. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this in verses 7 through 11. Because the carnal mind or the fleshly mind, the uh, mind is enmity or hostility against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit which dwells in you. We have a new animator. Before we were animated by other things, by other desires, by fleshly lust, for example, the things we wanted. We, we were the, our own animators, if you will, but we died to that, and Christ now has come, and we've been given the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God Himself now moves us, animates us, empowers us, enables us. So without the work of the Spirit, there is no hope for your family. Or any other relationships. But with the work of the Spirit, you have been empowered and enabled to see the work of God and His redemption play out in your life. Remember, selfishness is our fundamental problem. And the work of God starts with self-denial, dying to yourself, take up your cross and follow me. The Lordship of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body, your physical body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and that you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God. Let people see God in your body. That means The things you do, the places you go, the things you say, the attitudes you convey, all of that is to be an expression of His life in you. We all want to be wise and we all want to know what the will of the Lord is, so here we have it in this text plainly set before us. So Paul turns to an illustration or a contrast and comparison and he says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. In the, in the ancient world was characterized by widespread drunkenness. And it's certainly, that's certainly common in our own day, but I especially think of other places. Uh, we have our Russian friends with us today. I may be wrong in what I'm about to say. They can correct me, but I certainly have the impression from speaking uh, with other friends there, that uh, drunkenness is a real problem. There, uh, it's a problem here. It was certainly a problem, for example, in 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 the South in post Civil War times. Oftentimes, when people are not able to prosper and work, they're depressed and they turn to drink. They turn to alcohol and and other narcotics and things like that to help numb the difficulties that they're struggling with. And so. When conditions are hard, people turn to intoxicants for some kind of relief, escape, if you will. And so the Ephesians were certainly acquainted with this vice. Thus, the apostle sets forth this contrast between that and the Spirit of God. At the same time, there not only is there this contrast between being drunk with wine, but there's also some similarities of being drunk with wine. With wine and being filled with the Spirit, filled with wine, filled with the Spirit, and so um, you might recall that on the day of Pentecost, when people heard them speaking in tongues, what did some people say? They said they mocked and they said they're full of new wine. These are just these people are just drunk. That's our explanation for what's going on. And Peter stood up and he responded and he said, For these are not drunk, as you, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in these last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Another term for being intoxicated is being under the influence Some are under the influence of wine. They are drunk, filled to excess. Others are under the influence or filled with the Holy Spirit. One leads to dissipation, which is recklessness or wastefulness. The other leads to fruitfulness, the fruit of the Spirit. Very different results. And so the Christian life is to be a controlled life... An ordered life, which is the opposite of the drunkard who is out of control and and whose life is in a state of disorder. Follow the life or trajectory of the person under the influence of alcohol or drugs, and you will see increasing uh, decline, disarray, dysfunction. On the other hand, when you follow the trajectory of the person, who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you will see increase, an increase in maturity, order, and function. The prodigal son provides a vivid picture of the former where we read that there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The Greek word for prodigal living is the same word that is used here in Ephesians for, that's translated dissipation. And so the Christian conserves, builds up, and adds to what they have. We have this picture of growth, maturity, expanding fruitfulness. We have purpose, we have meaning, we have hope. Not in ourselves, but because the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. So as drunkenness impoverishes us, being filled with the Spirit enriches us. It matters what we are addicted to, just as it matters what we have faith in. Paul describes it this way in 1 Timothy six nineteen: storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. And so the Spirit-filled person is growing, increasing, developing fruitfulness. Christianity does not simply teach us, and this is important, to have a good life. When you you take the Holy Spirit out and you say, well, he's a good man, or she's a good woman, and they do good things, and they're nice, and we can describe various good works. But the Bible's definition of good works is very different. In order to be pleasing, it has to be unto the Lord. It has to be in His service, not in our service, not doing things so that we can receive some particular benefit, but rather in service of God and others in a selfless way, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, not something we produce in ourselves. Jesus said in John six sixty It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. That's what's unique about the Christian gospel. It is is a power unto itself, separate from every other method, every other device, every other ethic. Lloyd-Jones writes this, he says, What a stimulating, thrilling, exhilarating life this is. You are always moving in it. Always moving forward, going round corners and seeing ever nobler vistas. You had never heard of this one, and then there is another beyond it, and on and on. He continues, the Christian is a man whose mind is expanding, whose heart is moved and enlarged, and he wants to do something. He wants to make a contribution. He wants to extend the confines of the kingdom of God. He wants others to share in it. It affects the whole of the man, intellect, emotions, and will. What? A stimulus. The Christian life is full of joy if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Joy. Why does the poor fellow turn to to drink or to drugs? Because he's miserable. He he wants to be happy, but he's not happy. And so the Apostle Paul, who himself had known many trials and tribulations, and that's putting it mildly, right? They're enumerated in the New Testament. What does he say? It's like a crazy man. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How does he do that? How can he possibly do that? Our joy is made possible even in the midst of difficulties, severe difficulties. If you've read many Christian biographies and you see this in the lives of God's people over and over, you see this in the lives of, of His people in the Bible and in other historical works. Great trials, tremendous things, and yet we see this perseverance. Not just a grim uh, bearing of difficulties, but an actual victorious walk through the difficulties. And so a few passages came to mind, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 6-9. In this, that is, in these trials, in these difficulties, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been distressed by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, though tried by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know the truth, right? You know what you have in Christ. You know who you are in Christ. You know where you're going. You know what He's accomplished. You know He wins and you win. You know all these truths. And if we learn by the grace of God and in the power of the Spirit to live in what is actually true about us, then things start to change. We approach problems very differently when we are self-conscious About what we've been given in Christ. And what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect or maturing work. That you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So the Holy Spirit was given to what? Lead us into all truth to make us see and understand the Word of God, to take it to heart, to convict us of sin, to show us what we need to see, to comfort us when we're affected by that, to point the way of salvation, to enliven us, empower us. There's all kinds of reasons then when we understand that, that we can face the situations of life with joyous expectation. Romans 5 1 through 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, and hear this last part, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So are you listening to what God is saying to you? Do you believe what He's saying to you? Now, I mean, I mean really believe it, that you've been given the Holy Spirit, you are filled with the Spirit, you are under His influence. If so, then you will see the world differently. You'll see your world differently. You will approach your problems as opportunities, and you will grow and mature. This is not wishful thinking. This is the Word of God. This is the same word that created the universe. Think of the power of that word. Let there be light. There was light. He spoke the world into existence. That word. This is the same spirit in you that, was, that brought order out of the chaos at the beginning. One of the clear evidences of those who are filled with the Spirit is that we love the brethren. We like to be with other Christians. Multiple people filled with the Holy Spirit are a great, are a great encouragement. They walk together. They walk together. They face their problems together. They help one another. They strengthen one another. They're not trying to say, how fast can I get in and out? How can I avoid the people of God? I don't like those people. Those people... You know, that, that's the kind of attitude that's an indication of someone minus the Holy Spirit. Missing what the Spirit, the Spirit of God gives us. Charity and kindness and grace and mercy toward sinners. Toward people who are far less than perfect. In fact, people who irritate us. People who rub us the wrong way. We still have mercy and grace and we desire to be with them and to love them and to learn from them and to be able to serve them for Christ's sake. Maybe they need us to love them. But when we're selfish, when we're self-centered, we kind of get where I don't want to be around anybody. I want to do my own thing. I want to do the, minim, the minimum. But that's not the evidence of someone filled with the Spirit. Um. They walk together, they face their problems together, they help one another, they strengthen one another. A spirit-filled church is a glorious thing. Now, I want to note one point here. There is a false notion when we come to this subject of the spirit-filled Christian life that somehow there are two classes of Christians. There are regular Christians, they're all going to heaven. They they've got their ticket punched, they're on the train. And they're headed to heaven. Now they can relax. They really don't have to do much else. They're in. Once saved, always saved, right? And then there are those super Christians, those spirit-filled Christians, those uber Christians. Yeah, it'd be nice. Maybe, sometimes I think I'd like to be like that, but it's too much work, too much trouble. After all, we're all winding up in the same place. We're all on the same train. We're all going to get to the same place. So what's the point in all that? I don't want to be too religious. I'm not a very religious person. Yes, you are. Well, that is a myth. This idea that that's good enough for me, I just want to make it to heaven and have a little help when I need it. Now, I will say this. Now, that idea is false. But there are two classes of Christians, and the labels I would give them is not regular and super. I give it mature and immature. Which one of those, which class of those do you want to be in? Adults and babies. How about that? I want to be a baby. I want to be a baby all my life. I'm I'm satisfied with being a baby. No, you're not. So... One lives a victorious and joyous life, the other a defeated and miserable life. And Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's why he came. You remember Paul's prayer in chapter 3 of Ephesians, starting in verse 14? For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled... With all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul prayed that for you. Now one of the first problems Christians face is getting along with one another. Here we are, God's gathered us all together and put us in the same building. Connected us. Now this is true in the church. It's also true at your house and in your marriage. And so after Paul has spoken about being filled with the Spirit, he goes on to say that one of the fruits of this filling is that we submit to one another in the fear of God. Remember where this is headed. He is about to enter into a long discussion of family and work relationships. But before he gets to talking about husbands and wives and children and parents and work relationships, he says, let's begin here. Everybody needs to be filled with God's Spirit and the product and what that will produce is a submissive heart to one another, regardless of your position." We haven't gotten to the various responsibilities and positions that people hold, but everybody, regardless of your position, should have a submissive heart to one another. Remember, then, that being filled with the Spirit does not make us walk in the clouds, but it makes us walk with one another. And so Paul is setting forth a universal principle of mutual submission Which can only take place in people who are filled with the Spirit and not filled with themselves or wine. Selfishness is always the problem. Selflessness or love is always the solution. But we must have the power of the Holy Spirit to do this supernatural thing. There is no solution to your problems. Apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no solution to your problems. What if we just stopped there? God didn't stop there. How often do we go on a search for happiness and resolution and healing apart from God? We're too often like old King Asa. We read in 2 Chronicles 16:12, and in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. I don't think Asa was sinful for going to a physician, but he was certainly sinful for not seeking the Lord. We have not realized who we are in Christ, many of us. We are not who we were. We were darkness and now we are light. By nature, we are, in our old nature, our sinful nature, creatures of lust and desire. Since our fall into sin, that is what governs us. Paul's already addressed this in Ephesians 2. One through three, you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, this other spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we too all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's what describes the old life. Driven by our desires, our lusts, mankind is selfish and a self-centered being. And this is why, by the way, it is so difficult to live with other people. They think the same thing about you, by the way. This is why there's so much trouble in the world. We are all difficult because we are all selfish. The Bible says that every man is a liar. We are not only deceivers, we are self-deceivers. Society today proves it, as does all of human history. The Spirit of God, for the first time, enables us to submit to one another. To put someone ahead of ourselves. Husbands and wives toward each other. Parents and children toward one another, mutual submission, seeking one another's good at our own expense, putting others ahead of ourselves. Now, you will never, ever be able to do this on your own. That is impossible. Paul does not ask people to submit to one another without first telling them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't. I can't do that. You've got this problem, this conflict. I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't. You're right. You can't. God knows you can't. I'm glad you know you can't. But I know He can. Do you know He can't? You, are you just stopping there and saying, I can't? You waiting for everybody else to do it? You're going to be waiting a long time. He's already done it. He can do it. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, all of your efforts are in vain. And so let me say something here about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I think he is, in our theology too often remains in the background. The third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. God dwells in you. His work is essential. He begins by convincing us in the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We don't really believe in sin until the Holy Spirit does His work in us and for us. The world still doesn't believe in sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the world, and perhaps some of you, do believe in yourself. Aren't we told over and over you need to believe in yourself? And in man's power and goodness... Do you still really think of yourself as basically a good person? Well, that's contrary to the teachings of Christ. What does this Holy Spirit do? Why has He been sent? After convicting us of sin and revealing salvation that is in Christ through His blood, He regenerates, He resurrects, He gives new life to the dead. Paul said we were dead in trespasses and sins. He brings order out of chaos. Of course, you'll recall what Jesus said to Nicodemus who came to him. Jesus said, uh, answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's Womb and be born. You can tell Nicodemus is a Pharisee, right? Very, very much a wooden literalist. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is sent to give you and me a new beginning, a new start, a new mind, a new perspective, a new everything. There is no hope for you or any of your problems apart from that. Please listen carefully. Every era... Has its traditions, its cultures, its mindsets, and we're not going to take the time. I mean, there's a long list of them. But right now we live in the so called modern and postmodern era, the scientific era, and we put a lot of faith in science, which, by the way, is a moving target. But as long as it keeps delivering things like computers and smartphones, and we can find a new pill that will make us feel better, then we put a lot of faith in this. Now, I want to be clear. I believe Christianity is what produced modern science in large measure, the idea that the world is ordered and God created and we're to exercise dominion over it. So what I'm saying is not anti-science, it's not anti-technology, it's not anti-medicine. But if we are making idols out of those things, if we're calling upon those things to do what they were never intended to do, if we're relying upon them to do the work of the Holy Spirit, then we have a false God. Because the Holy Spirit is God, and we need the Holy Spirit to do His work and not these other things. There are no pills. There is no counseling that can do what only the power of the Holy Spirit can do. And some of us need to come to fundamental grips with this fact because we don't really believe it. This is the only remedy to your personal problems, family problems, marriage problems, and frankly, the world's problems. God Himself. We need more reliance. We need more dependence, not more independence. Independence is our problem. We need to cry out to God I need you. Help me. Strengthen me. Lift me up. Fill me. Use me. Give me courage. Give me faith. Give me strength. Give me power. Give me grace. Fill me with joy. Help me to see. Help me to understand. Help me to persevere. I mean, we go on and on. The Holy Spirit does all that. But how how often do we go to Him in our troubles? We spend a lot of time fretting and anxiety and worrying and can't do it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Worrying. And here He is, given to us the solution he said. well I don't understand all that well this is just one sermon you know the Bible's got a lot to say about this there's a lot more to be said about this I hope this makes you hungry to find out and if you don't know read a book listen to some more sermons say I want to know more about this Holy Spirit who is he I need to get to know him Let's pray. Father, you knew of our hopeless and helpless condition, our rebellious hearts, and our selfish spirits. Nevertheless, you set your affection on us, even before the foundation of the world. And in time, you rescued us from ourselves and from our idols. You sent the Holy Spirit to resurrect us from the dead and to fill us and empower us to overcome sin. Help us to see and understand what has been done to us and for us, and help us to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and to rely on Him and not ourselves. May we forsake all the false remedies that the world offers, and come to the one true remedy for our sin problems. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Going back to our text, Ephesians 5, verses 19 and 20 says that we another one of the results, if you will, evidences of being filled with or under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit is seen in our interaction with one another and in our thankfulness. He says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, ...in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is true that we, as we worship, our singing is directed toward God. But that doesn't mean that it is not also there to be in service of one another. We have been called out of the world and gathered together, the ecclesia, the church of the living God. As we come together, under the influence of the Holy Spirit... We sing to God and we sing to one another. It is instructive. It is encouraging. Pay attention to the words when we sing. Hear the joy that's being expressed in the music as it was written and now as it's being performed, if you will, before God. The fact that we've come together, the fact that I'm not out singing all by myself in a field, now, that's a, that may be another good thing to do, but this is a different thing that we're doing. We are singing together. We are lifting our voices together as one. The, all of us, the many, we are one. And so singing is important. That's why we all participate. You say, oh, I'm not a very good singer. Well, God, didn't, God does not require you to be a good singer. He requires you to sing. He requires you to at least make a joyful noise. It could be a noise, it needs to be a joyful noise. Um, and so it's the old thing you've heard me say you don't, you know, about broccoli. You don't have to like it, you just have to eat it. Okay? You don't have to be a good singer, you just have to be a singer. You've got to be a joyful singer. Get happy about it. You say, I don't like to hear myself sing. And maybe your neighbor doesn't like to hear that either. <laughs> you can sing a little lower, but singing is important. Because as we come together under the influence of the Spirit, again, this is a corporate activity, and it's mutually beneficial as we submit to one another, right? I don't like it. Well, you don't have to. Let me say this. When I say you don't have to like it, that means you don't have to personally like it, but that doesn't mean you don't have to get happy about it. Because God thinks it is good for you and good for me. And so... Uh, The corporate activity is mutually beneficial as we submit to one another and join our voices together. We hear one another as we lift up our voice to our common Father. So there is a horizontal dimension to worship. As we praise God, we also edify one another. Likewise, this table is a table of thanksgiving. And as we remember what God has done for us in Christ and in sending us His Holy Spirit... There is much to be thankful for. I made the comment this morning in Sunday school that uh, it, only people who have things are ungrateful. Uh, we have so much, and yet we tend to be ungrateful, or we forget, or we get accustomed to it. We, we do this every week, and so uh, it's easy for this just to be a routine. And I want to ask you to, to not do that, to think about What is represented here at this lovely, glorious table? And so, uh, as a result of His amazing grace, Paul says, uh, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, we are to give thanks always for all things. That pretty much covers it, right? Being thankful all the time for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what enables us to do that. O Lord our God, we bow humbly before the majesty of your throne and acknowledge that we are unworthy to come before you, except as we come in the righteousness of Christ alone. We are highly blessed to be your servants. Not one of us may boast of our own ability to serve you, nor proclaim any contribution to your kingdom apart from your grace. You allow us to plant and water, yet you alone, O Lord, can give the increase. Thank you for defeating Satan and casting him down, for crushing him under the feet of Christ, for setting us free from his bondage, and for silencing his accusations against us. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture. You meet every need we have. You feed us and satisfy our thirst. You comfort us and protect us. Indeed, you have prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies, and our cup runneth over You have placed us in your church. What a blessing to be in the household of God. Thank you for our baptism, which sets us apart from the world and blesses us much in every way. Thank you for the fact that every particular, every detail is directed by your kind providence toward us. Now, Lord, send us forth with your blessing. Fill us with your spirit. Use us for your glory. Enable us to serve your kingdom. Lord, bless this day, our rest, our feast, our conversation, and may the knowledge of the Lord fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen.